All right, amen. What a beautiful start of the service and song and praise, the reading of Scripture. Uh, one of the benefits of being in front every morning is to hear your voices singing unto the Lord in spirit and in truth. This morning, I'm grateful to uh, bring God's word. Thank you for your prayers over the months. Thank you to the elders, our community group, my family, but ultimately, all glory, I give thanks. We give thanks to the Lord. This morning, uh, we will be going through um, Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But let's start with this introduction. You know, we've seen history replete with empires and nations from the Ottoman Empire, the Roman Empire, the Tsars of Russia, the emperors of China, Japan, and the royal families of Great Britain, the President of the United States. During the pre-internet, pre-cable days, it was special to watch the inauguration of the President on Tube TV. There's tremendous fanfare, what comes in with the, the swearing in at the steps of our nation's capital and the pomp and circumstances when the president addresses the nation and really the world. You see the power of the president when he comes to LA, when all incoming flights are stopped at LAX for the landing of Air Force One. And we experience Carmageddon when the freeway is closed. There is power when you see the crown jewels of the British, the scepter, the throne room, and in DC, the presidential seal, the Oval Office. For the non-free world countries, there's a show of power with the parade of uniformed soldiers, tanks, rockets, and military equipment. When Jesus enters Jerusalem, it is his city on his time. He is the anointed one, the Messiah. This is Palm Sunday. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to be here this morning to come in joyful praise and worship of you. We are grateful that this is the day that you have made, that we have breath, that we can praise you. As we come together this morning, let the mouths continue to praise. Let the preaching of your word praise. Let the word go out in accuracy, in honesty, and in the spirit, Lord, that it will enhance our worship of you in the study of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the New Testament starts off with the book of Matthew. Matthew, if you don't know, is one of the four gospels written around 50 AD. The word gospel means good news. And the good news is this that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah and his declaration of kingship. Matthew is a Jewish tax collector and one of the 12 apostles. A key word or theme throughout Matthew is king. 
So keep that in mind this morning, the word king. Matthew uses many informal allusions and quotes from the Old Testament to see the fulfillment of prophecy. In Matthew 5:17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Throughout the gospel, we see countless scriptural references to the Old Testament, along with the specific fulfillment in the New Testament. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and prophecies. The life of Jesus is important as this is the last week of his life. Jesus lived 33 years, of which three years in ministry, and in the last week of his life, large portions of the gospel are devoted to this moment in history. You could say the most important week of all history. In the book of Matthew, one-fourth of the book, chapters 21 through 28, devoted to the last week of Jesus' life, In the book of Mark, one-third, chapters 11 through 16. In the book of Luke, one-fifth of the book, chapters 19 through 24. And John, half of the book, chapters 12 through 21. There are 89 chapters in the four Gospels, of which 29 are dedicated to Jesus from his triumphal entry to his resurrection. And any time there is a lot of time devoted to something, we all know it's worth paying attention. So let's pay attention. The world generally says that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. But as I said, the greatest story is about the redemptive story of Christ and his last week. This is about Jesus entering Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, and the week ahead. Of him cleansing the temple his final teachings, the institution of the Lord's Supper, his betrayal, his arrest, his trial, crucifixion, death, and resurrection on Easter Sunday. This is about Jesus, the humble Messiah King. We are taking a break from our study in the book of Ephesians, and we'll be preaching out the Gospel of Matthew on Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And again, as we already heard, next week, Good Friday, and then Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. As way of an introduction, let's briefly review the first 20 chapters of Matthew to give us an idea of what's going on. In chapter 1, the arrival of the king. We have the birth genealogy and the birth of Christ. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, And this is important because we see that Jesus as the son of David and the son of Abraham. Here we have two references to two men who through their birth line of God's saving action came to great covenants. God's covenant promise to Abraham, Genesis 12, 2, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And God's covenant promise to David, 2 Samuel 7, verse 9. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. The term son of David is a powerful term to a far greater son of David, synonymous in 
identifying Jesus as the Messiah. This phrase is used more by Matthew than any other gospel because the Messiah was to come from the greatest king of the Old Testament, David. Matthew traces Jesus' messianic lineage from Abraham through David all the way to his earthly father, Joseph, to show that Jesus was legally in the royal line. Chapter 2, King of the Jews. And we know that familiar story. The wise man seeking Jesus. Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? Even the wise men knew of Jesus. They sought to see the king and worshipped him. And in chapter 3, John the Baptist prepares the king for his baptism and the start of his ministry, where John is calling the people, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and that, and that kingdom is the soon-arriving Messiah. Chapter 4, the temptation of the king and the calling of the 12 disciples. Chapter 5 through 7, the preaching of the king. And we heard part of that from the... Uh, from the, uh, the pastoral prayer and the Sermon on the Mount, the miracles of Jesus, chapters 8 through 9, the authority of the king, of Jesus healing, casting out demons, calming the storm, a king like no other who even controls nature itself. Chapters 10 through 16, the program of the king, where he commissioned the 12 and continued to preach, teach, taught in parables, and healed. And there's opposition by the Jewish leaders testing Jesus. We also have Peter's confession of Jesus being the Christ and Jesus foretelling his own death and resurrection. And in chapters 17 through 20, the transfiguration, Jesus foretelling of his death and resurrection, he prophesied two more times. And it's teaching on marriage, divorce, and about the kingdom of God. This morning's message is titled, The Procession of the Humble King. And the main idea is this, that we are to properly praise and live for Jesus because he is the messianic king who comes in the name of the Lord. Three points. Preparation of the humble king, procession of and praise to the humble king and the people's response to the humble king. The text this morning, again, is from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 11. To get a running start for context, I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 to 34. And you can find that on page 825 in the Pew Bibles in front of you. So Matthew 20, verses 29 through 34. And as they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be open. And Jesus in pity touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. In our text this morning. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, 
Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a coat with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a coat, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the coat and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Brothers, sisters, friend, this is the inerrant word of God. Point number one, preparation of the humble king. Here Jesus comes to the end of his pilgrimage. It is the final week, the last days, the final push. Jesus anticipated this and that it was his time. In Jesus' three years of ministry, he poured his life into the disciples. It is where he performed miracles, he taught, he healed, he prophesied. During those three years, though, it was not yet his hour. At the start of his public ministry with his first miracle of turning water into wine, at the wedding at Cana in Galilee, John 2, verse 4, my hour has not yet come. His hour would eventually come, but not yet. Further in John chapter 7, verse 6, my time has not yet come. And when Jesus taught there, there were those that sought to arrest him. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come, John 7, 30. And again in John 8, verse 20, those words he spoke, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Ever since the start of Jesus' ministry, Jesus would not be forced into a public revealing, revealing of his public identity on anyone else's terms, whether it's the people of Israel, the Jewish leaders, the Romans, even the disciples, or even his mother could not force the hour for Jesus. After Peter confessed, Christ as the Messiah, Matthew writes in chapter 16, verse 21 to 23, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are, a, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Here we have Peter and the disciples putting a place and time on Jesus. Again, it was not yet time. 
but here we are now, as it is soon to be his time. Jesus is headed to his death to be buried, resurrected on the third day, all to take place in Jerusalem. It is the place where it all happens. In the verses preceding our passage, in Matthew chapter, again, Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 to 34, here in the prior weeks to Jesus entering Jerusalem, we have a crescendo of his ministry as he passed through Jericho. It was in Jericho where he healed two blind men, one whose name was Bartimaeus. It was where salvation came to the tax collector Zacchaeus' house. It was there the crowd and the multitudes were starting to gather as they were headed up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And to our text this morning, Matthew 21, verses 1 to 5. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. Jesus not only drew near to Jerusalem, but he entered Jerusalem. The small township Bethphage is only mentioned here in Matthew. It is likely within a mile east of Jerusalem, near or on the slopes of the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of his disciples, and they did what he instructed them to do. Verses 3 to 5. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a coat, the foal of a beast of burden. Jesus gave instructions that if questions, the disciples, that they would say, The Lord needs them. It was to find a donkey and a coat. Both animals were never ridden on. And this is very important to signify the events that were to take place. Jesus knew animals as everyone knows. He was born in a manger surrounded by animals. The birth of the humble king in a manger. It was the plan of God that Jesus would enter Jerusalem in this manner. It was a divine appointment. The people that owned the animals submitted to the Lord's authority. The Lord needs them. Both in Mark and Luke, they describe where the animals were to be found and how the owners reacted. You know, when we think of a donkey, you know, what do we think? We think of a lowly animal, a beast of burden. If we think of a car, what kind of car do you think? You probably think of like a, a commuter car, like a Toyota Corolla. It would be like the mayor of Torrance asking two staffers to go down to PCH at DCH Toyota and pointing to a gray Corolla, zero miles, no leather seats, the mayor needs them. <laughs> and what happens? You have to go into the finance, right? The finance guys, if anyone's been in the auto car dealership, you, they, they, they wheel and deal and haggle you, you know, financing and all this. So a, a similar thing would happen. They say, the Lord needs them. The finance guy would say, okay. And so literally that's what happened at that time. The, the colt and the donkey 
were given because the Lord needed them, without question. So the disciples brought a donkey, and Jesus sat on a coat, a beast of burden. Jesus is entering Jerusalem on a coat that has never been ridden. Here we have the messianic king, the son of David, coming in meekness and majesty and humility. For the world, it is about power, might, and a presentation to the world. We know who's in charge, as they're all conquerors. China's President Xi Jinping was recently reappointed as president and commander-in-chief for another five years. That's 10 years. Vladimir Putin has been president for Russia for 10 years. And when Caesar entered the city of Rome, after he conquered another nation, he would enter on a white horse with his military, prisoners, and the spoils of war. It was a grand procession. The white horse would represent the seat of power and beauty. However, in deep contrast, here we have Jesus declaring his kingship. He was fulfilling messianic prophecy by fulfilling the word of God and what he was to do. Here we have a conflation of two prophecies, Isaiah 62, verse 11, and Zechariah 9, 9. But first, let's look at Isaiah 62, verse 1. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet, until her righteousness goes forth as brightness, and her salvation as a burning torch. And verse 11, Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth, say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your salvation comes. And Zechariah 9, 9, fulfilled prophecy, and specifically mentions the king's humble arrival on a donkey. Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteousness, righteous and having salvation is he. Look at the key word here. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a coat the foe of a donkey. The Israelites understood that this was the prophecy of their Messiah king. The Israelites longed for Messiah as they've waited hundreds of years. The term daughter of Zion is often a term referring to the people of Jerusalem. It is the time for the Davidic king to openly declare who he is. Jesus knew this was his last week as he entered the city. He knew what was to come. He knew the people expected a warrior king. But instead, he came on a coat. The crowd wanted a king with a crown, but instead would be crowned with thorns at the cross. The crowd wanted a king with soldiers of war to set them free from the bondage of the Romans. Instead, he was a king to set them free from the bondage of sin. Jesus was the humble king 
that would bring salvation. Jesus was also paralleling an Old Testament passage when David was old and frail, where his son Adonijah took advantage and planned to make himself king. However, it was God's plan to keep the royal lineage of Jesus through David's promise to Bathsheba that her son Solomon would ride a mule into Jerusalem and be the heir to the king. This was all to take place as prophesied. Point number one, the preparation of the humble king, which brings us to point number two, procession of and praise to the humble king. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them, verse 6 and 7. They brought the donkey and the coat and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Here, two unnamed disciples followed Jesus' instructions and laid their cloaks on the coat. They used their cloaks instead of a saddle. This is contrasted to a king on a mighty battle horse with a saddle, coat of arms, shiny armor, sword, scepter, and regalia. The symbolism of just a coat is that Jesus was coming in peace, not war. One day, Jesus will come again. In his second coming, he will arrive on a white horse and a maker of war, Revelations 19.11. Then I saw heaven opened up, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. However, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, he was undistinguished and had no physical beauty. Isaiah 53.2 For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was like one of us. Hebrews 2, verses 17 and 18. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus identified with us. He's not like the alpha male Thor of the Marvel Universe. Jesus is like us. And you know, we all love stories about a great king, and a coronation. Whether it is C.S. Lewis, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe with Aslan, the great lion, and the crowning and crowning of the kings and queens of Narnia, Peter, Edmund, Susan, and Lucy. Or, or Tolkien, the return of the king, the coronation of Aragorn as king and his bride-to-be, Arwen. There is grandeur. There's pomp. There's amazing beauty. But here we see a unique procession, verses 8 and 9. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. 
praise to the humble king. The crowds were likely getting bigger as Jesus left Jericho and as they approached Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives to celebrate the Passover. Little did they know that Jesus himself would be the Passover lamb. The crowd gave Jesus their version of what we call the red carpet treatment. They laid their clothes on the road as an act of acknowledgement and submission to Jesus as Messiah. And there's precedent for this on the laying of clothes in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13, when Jehu was anointed king of Israel. The branches were palm branches, as described in John 12, verse 13. And the palm branches were a Jewish symbol, as it was a sign of celebration, peace, joy, and victory. The crowd was before him and ahead of him. The crowd knew that Jesus is the king. They cheered. They knew something wonderful is happening. They shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Luke chapter 19 verse 38 also adds, Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. John 12, 13. Blessed is the king of Israel. The crowd makes a connection to Psalms 113 through 118, which are praise psalms. And Psalm 18 in particular is a psalm of deliverance and sometimes called a conqueror psalm. You can see why, see why the crowd would shout to Messiah and for him to conquer Rome through the military. With this being the week of Passover, the crowds, the celebration, you can imagine the intensified enthusiasm. The word Hosanna comes directly from Psalm 118, verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna means save now. The crowd is acknowledging that Jesus is bringing salvation, but from a military perspective, in deliverance from Rome, rather than a deliverance or salvation for their souls. In Luke chapter 19, verses 39 to 40, we see further greatness of Jesus' procession. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Here we see the opposition of the Pharisees and isn't it ironic that the Jewish leaders who, who, should, who should know better, Jesus rebukes them back. Even creation knows Jesus, that creation would celebrate the arrival of Jesus. If there were no people to shout the praise to the king, creation will join a, a chorus of voices to praise the king. Can you imagine the chorus of rocks? I mean... How many rocks are there on the road? I mean, there's more than one rock. I mean, there's just like thousands and millions. You know, it was important that the multitude cry out, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. It was from their very voices that they declared his kingship and that they saw and knew what Jesus did, what he taught, who he is, and that he came 
in the name of the Lord. The people had the right expectation of Jesus coming, but the wrong expectation of who he truly is. That's point number one, the preparation of the humble king. That's point number two, the procession of and praise of the humble king, which brings us to point number three, the people's response to the humble king. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. We have the multitude entering Jerusalem for the Passover. We have the crowd following Jesus from Jericho. We have the disciples. We have the Pharisees. We have the Romans. We have the whole city stirred up. This crowd is stirred up in euphoria getting caught up in the moment, and at times, a mob mentality. Obviously, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law opposed Jesus as they saw him a threat to their leadership, but in particular, he claimed to be from God and dared to make himself equal to God. The misguided crowd wanted a superficial military king. Their knowledge of Jesus was deficient. If you look at the world today, People have a very, def very deficient view of who Jesus is. They want a Jesus that gives them power, prosperity, health, wealth, therapy. They want a Jesus in their own image, misguided, taking huge portions out of the Bible. And those closest to Jesus the disciples, eyewitnesses, knew Jesus, but didn't fully understand him until after the resurrection. Friend, saint, you entered these doors at 2545 West 237th Street. You've been here since 9 a.m. You heard the public reading of scripture. You worshiped in song. You join in the pastoral prayer. You are hearing the preaching of God's word. But are you listening? The question you have to answer, just as the crowd asked, who is this Jesus? Who is this? Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 to 5. Now when John heard it in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. The deaf hear, the blind see, the lame walk, the sick are healed, People are raised from the dead. Jesus preached the good news that he is the Savior, not only to the Jews, but Savior to the world. He came to seek and save the lost, to save men from their sins. Jesus says to learn from his teaching that he is gentle, that he is humble, so that you may find rest for your souls. 
Do you have rest in your soul? You can only find rest in your soul in the humble king, Jesus, Messiah. Further in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29. Come to me, all who labor and are, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Who is this? This is Jesus, the humble, gentle prophet, priest, and king. Jesus, Messiah. He is the only one who saves. Hosanna in the highest. The crowd celebrated Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Jesus, the son of David, fulfilling prophecy. There was an expectation of a return to Israel's glory days under David. That Jesus came to break the yoke of the Romans. Instead, he came to break the chains of sin. Palm Sunday, we celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus, the true and only humble king who rode into Jerusalem on a coat with the praise of men, women, and children. He alone separates the wheat from the chaff. Jesus knows his own. Jesus saves he reminds us that he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the only one worthy of following. He sits on the throne, and he will return. His second coming will not be on a donkey, but a king on a white horse. Friend, I again ask you, as the crowd asked, who is this? Do you know Jesus? In closing... Is this Jesus your Messiah? If not, let this be the day of salvation for you so that you may sing and respond to the humble king, Hosanna in the highest. For all of us, we are to properly praise and live for Jesus because he is the messianic king who comes in the name of the Lord. Point one, the preparation of the humble king. Point two, the profession, procession of the, and praise of the king. And point number three, the people's response to the humble king. Jesus is the humble, gentle, meek, Messiah, and king, the Messiah of the world. I would like to ask the elders come forward. If you have any questions about who is this Jesus or you need prayer, the elders are here to pray for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for Jesus, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, where there were people praising him, calling, shouting his name, Hosanna in the highest. We pray, Lord, that these praises will be our praises, and our praises will be in knowledge of who you are, that Jesus is the Messiah. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.